Hello, fellow forecasters. This is Michael Hendricks coming to you on February 14th, Valentine's Day of 2021, with the seventh episode of Season 2. Today I'm going to be talking about the 1824 election. This is the 10th quadrennial election, which was held between October 26th and December 1st of 1824. It would go down as the first election decided in the House of Representatives where the winner of the Electoral College and also the popular vote winner would not become president. Now, this is the only time in the United States history that this has actually ever happened. In upcoming elections, we would see the the winner of the popular vote not win the electoral vote. But as we know, the United States, whoever wins the electoral vote, uh, is declared the winner of the presidency. But you may still look back at 2000 and 2016 as being among the most contentious elections of all time. But neither of these even come close to the 1824 election. Now, there were four main men running for president that year. There were Secretary of State John Quincy Adams, Tennessee Senator Andrew Jackson, and and war hero, I might add. The House Speaker that came from Kentucky, Henry Clay, and the Secretary of Treasury, William H. Crawford. Here's the fun part. All of them were actually from the Democratic-Republican Party. By this point, as I've touched on in the past episodes, the Federalist Party was all but defunct by this point. It was completely relegated to local politics in the Northeast. But in this election, the man, again, who won both the Electoral College and popular vote would not become president because of the vote in the House of Representatives that would come in the contingent election. But that's not the only thing that was a little bit uh, weird and, and kind of out there in this election. The man who was actually formally nominated for the party's ticket would finish third in voting, not only in the regular election, but in the contingent election. We'll get to that here in just a bit. This election was the official ending of the era of good feelings. This election would also see the end of the Democratic-Republican Party, as by the 1828 election, uh, candidates are running as Democrats and Republicans, but not as the Republican Party we know today. But the four main, the four men that were running for president, uh, even though they were all part of the Democratic Republican Party, they were actually in different factions within that party, and that that's part of the reason why the era era of good feelings came to a close. And we, we look at these men, uh, we do have, excuse me, John Quincy Adams and Henry Clay. They were both allied with the National Republicans, who would eventually form the Whig Party. Crawford was allied with the old Republicans, and they were considered Jeffersonian Republicans, and also called, quote, quote, quids. And they were mostly more moderate Democratic Republicans, and they'd also fooled in some former Federalists who were no longer held to the same beliefs as their old party. Jackson, of course, led the Jacksonian wing of the Democratic Republicans, and this would eventually become the Democratic Party, which is, as we know, the longest active political party in the United States. So... In order to get to the actual election, we need to set up this election. What was happening that caused so many factions within the Democratic-Republican Party? Well, there are a few things. 
uh, that not only set this up to be a contentious election, but bring about the fall of the Democratic Republican Party. As I just touched on just a little bit ago, the era of good feelings began falling apart during the end of Monroe's second term uh, when factions started forming in the party because, you know, one party rule is just never going to work. It never has and never will. Uh, now, if you listen to my podcast in the past or, or you've read my blog on, uh, on the internet that I believe that the best way to run elections is just whoever wants to run, how many parties want to run, can run. But that's not what we have. We have a two-party system. And we found out very quickly through the era of good feelings that a one-party system definitely did not work. The party had largely abandoned the strict reading of the Constitution that Jefferson um, had brought to the party. And he was the standard bearer of the Democratic Republican Party. But the party itself had started moving away from that. Uh, And that's where you start getting the factions. Um, Especially when you look at the National Republicans, who would eventually become the Whig Party, and then eventually become the Republican Party. And then the old Republicans, who still wanted to stick with that strict reading of the Constitution. And then the Jacksonian Democrats, who were kind of going away from it. There were a couple of other things going on during this time period that led to this fracture in the end of the Democratic Republican Party and also the election of 1824. First, it was the Panic of 1819. Uh, it was largely, uh, lar- it's been largely considered the first Great Depression in the United States and though largely a global downturn, uh, it happened to be exacerbated by the second national bank of the United States that was basically printing money that wasn't there. It was printing, it was just making up money as it was going. This was actually pushed by the New Republicans, a sect of the Democratic Democratic Republicans that was largely considered to be anti-Jacksonian in the election of 1824, and they are who actually backed Adams. And then, of course, slavery. Uh, Because as we all know, slavery would last as an issue even through the end of Reconstruction after slavery was over and still have side effects of it to this day. But in the election of 1824, his arguments were still ongoing about bringing slave states into the Union. Up until 1820, the only requirement in admitting new states as far as slavery was concerned is that for every new state that was admitted that had slaves, a state had to also be admitted uh, that did not have slavery. In fact, we would see this uh, in a few years when Arkansas and Michigan excuse me, were added, Arkansas being added as a slave state, Michigan being added as a non-slave state for Arkansas and Michigan are considered uh, sister states because they were made at the same time. And it was also part of the Missouri Compromise of 1820. And what this compromise did was it drew a line from the Mississippi River along the southern border of Missouri through the lands of the Louisiana Purchase. So obviously when Arkansas and Nebraska, or Michigan are added in, Arkansas being below that line would be added as a slave state. Michigan above that line added as a non-slave state. Now, of course, that line barred slavery north uh, of it, but this excluded Missouri. But it was passed through Congress uh, 
made it way uh, became that compromise became that dividing line but it also angered angered sorry many southern democratic republicans and this really came about because northern congressmen uh, congressmen began to realize that the three-fifths compromise that was in the constitution was actually giving a lot of power to the south and they were looking for any way to stop that and the missouri compromise was the closest they they would come Another thing that would lead to the issues with the 1824 election, I'm sorry about that, that's my phone, uh, was actually the caucus nomination in the Democratic-Republican Party. It was sparsely attended, and it was felt by many who did not attend to be very undemocratic. But William H. Crawford did eventually win the nomination with 64 votes, and Albert Gallatin became the vice presidential candidate with 57 votes. Now, you may be asking yourself, who is Albert Gallatin? Never heard of him. Never heard about him running for any office. Well, he actually ended up withdrawing from the nomination because he was both fed up with the attacks on him and it was also at the request of William Crawford. And he ended up being replaced by North Carolina Senator uh, Nathaniel Macon. And because there was widespread dissatisfaction with the caucus nomination process, states actually held their own nominating conventions for their le- uh, in their legislatures. And this is one of the first times we actually see an actual primary. By the, but by the end of this process, all four men, Crawford, Adams, Clay, and Jackson, had been, now, had been nominated for president. So now we're about to move on to the campaign and the election itself. Uh, we're going to cover this in really three different sections uh, a little info on the campaign itself the popular vote that will go along with that and then the electoral college vote and then finally moving on to the contingent election All right, so we move on to the actual election, and I do just want to talk about the actual campaign just for a little bit, and it's not going to be a long discussion because during this time, during this era, uh, most presidential candidates actually didn't run an election campaign. They didn't go out and stomp. They didn't go out and meet uh, with people to try to gain their votes. Uh, They relied heavily on others to actually campaign for them. One thing that did come out of this election was what was called a contrafacta. Basically, what would happen here is that well-known songs uh, would be changed, modified, the words changed to fit a certain political campaign. And several of these were actually done for Andrew Jackson. But when we look at the actual election, just kind of an overview, we look at Andrew Jackson, who enjoyed a much broader geographical support than the men he was running against, mostly through the South and Pennsylvania. When we look at John Quincy Adams, he unsurprisingly, uh, because of his his policies were more geared towards uh, the former Federalist Party policies, he dominated the Northeast and also won the Midwest. When we look at Clay, he overwhelmingly won his home state of Kentucky, and he also won pluralities in the two surrounding states of, uh, that were around Kentucky. But when we actually just sit down and look at the popular vote, we see that 26.9% of eligible voters actually voted in this election. This is up 16.8% from the previous election. And remember in the 1820 election, uh, there was only one candidate running, and that was the president. No one else ran against him. 
So we saw a total of 365,928 people vote. So the way I'm going to do this is I'm just going to break down the popular vote uh, by who won each state and by how much. We'll start with the Jackson states. Uh, those states won by Jackson. He won Alabama with 69.32% of the 13,603 total votes cast. In Indiana, he won with 46.61% of the 15,753 votes cast. Mississippi, he won with 63.77% of the 4,894 votes cast. He won New Jersey with 52.08% of the 19,837 votes cast. North Carolina won with 56.03% of the 36,109 votes cast. Pennsylvania, again, he won with 76.04%, which is a huge number considering that he was mostly winning states in the South. Uh, but he won that percentage of the 47,252 votes that were cast, by far his largest uh, vote total. And then Tennessee, he won 97.45% of the 20,725 votes cast. He ended up winning a total of 151,363 votes, or 41.36% of the vote, which... Uh, even in a four-way election, that's that's a very low number. It's a good thing that popular votes have never been decided by the person having to get 50% or more in the presidential election. Okay, let's turn over to the states won by John Quincy Adams. He won Connecticut with 70.39% of the 10,647 votes cast. Uh, Illinois with 32.46% of the 4,671 votes cast. Yeah, this time Illinois was definitely a small vote state or small, uh, small population state. Excuse me. Adams also won Maine with 81.5% of the 12,625 votes cast. I remember this is one of the first elections that Maine actually participates in after being connected to Massachusetts for so many years. Uh, Adams also won Maryland with 44.05% of the 33,214 votes cast. Massachusetts with 72.97% of the 42,056 votes cast. New Hampshire with 93.59% of the 10,032 votes cast. And then Rhode Island with 91.4% of the 2,345 votes cast. For a total of 113,142 votes or about 30.92%. Now, we go back and look at those states that Adams won. I, I said uh, just a little bit ago, like a few minutes ago, uh, that Adams had overwhelmingly won the Northeast. You know, Connecticut was 70%, Maine with 81%, Massachusetts was almost 73%, New Hampshire with 94%, New Rhode Island with 91%. And you may be asking yourself, why, don't I, why, don't, why am I not here in New York? Well, we'll get to that when we're talking about about the Electoral College. Uh, but just to give you a preview, there was no popular vote in the state of New York. And then we look at the states that Henry Clay won. Probably hear my mouse. I'm just okay. look at the states Henry Clay won. Uh, Kentucky, 
won with 72.77% of the 23,338 votes cast, which is his home state. He won Missouri with 59.5% of the 3,273 votes cast. He won Ohio with 38.49% of the 50,024 votes cast for a total of 40, uh, sorry, 47,545 votes or just under 13% at 12.99%. And then Crawford, uh, again, who's William H. Crawford, who was the actual nominee for the presidency for the Democratic Republicans, managed to win just one state. That was Virginia. He won with 55.68% of the 15,371 votes cast, or a total of 41,032 votes, or around 11.21%. Now keep in mind, he only won one state, and almost beat out Clay, who won three. And then we look at the states where no votes were cast. That was Delaware, Georgia, Louisiana, New York, South Carolina, and Vermont. Uh, so, but as we all know, the popular vote was not fully connected to the Electoral College during this time, you know, proven by the six states that had no popular vote at that time. All right, so we're going to move on next to the Electoral College. And again, because this is the 1824 election, we know that even with the Electoral College about to throw its votes in, that the election is still not over. All right, so let's move on to the Electoral College. Now, for this election, there were 261 members of the Electoral College, of which 131 were needed to win the presidency. In this election, though, like I've stated, no candidate would actually hit the required number of delegates, triggering a vote in the House of Representatives. But before we get to that, let's look at the breakdown of the delegates and how those delegates were selected by the states. And we're going to start by how the delegates were selected when we look at the states where the delegates were selected just by the voters, we have Alabama, Connecticut, Indiana, Massachusetts, Mississippi, New Hampshire, New Jersey, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Virginia. So the delegates in these states were fully selected by the voters in those states. And then we look at the states where delegates were selected by the state legislatures. We have six. As I mentioned before, Delaware, Georgia, Louisiana, New York, South Carolina, and Vermont. And then we also have five states uh, where the delegates were voted on by voters in legislative districts. And those were Illinois, Kentucky, Maryland, Missouri, and Tennessee. In fact, we do see some issues uh, specifically with Illinois, where Adams would actually win the state. uh, But Jackson would pick up the most delegates because... The way they voted in that state, they voted by legislative districts and not by overall. And then we have the one state where two electors were chosen statewide, and then the remaining delegates were chosen by voters in the legislative districts, and that's Maine, who still does that and practices that way to this day. And For instance, in the 2020 election, uh, we saw Biden win the state, so he picked up two delegates. He also won the first congressional district, which gave him three delegates in the state, and then Trump, I believe, I believe that's correct, I'll have to look on my next break and then correct that if I'm wrong, won the second um, 
district picking up that delegate. So let's look at the delegates won by each state uh, by candidate. And first we're going to look at Jackson. Uh, He won all of Alabama's five delegates. He won, again, as I just mentioned, two of Illinois' three delegates, uh, even though the state was won by Adams. But again, Jackson won two of the state's districts. That's why he was able to pick up two of the three electoral votes. He won all of Indiana's five. He won three of Louisiana's five. He won seven of Maryland's 11 electoral votes. He won all of Mississippi's three votes, all of New Jersey's eight. He picked up one of New York's 36 delegates. He won all of North Carolina's 15 delegates, all of Pennsylvania's 28, all of uh, South Carolina's 11, and all of Tennessee's 11, uh, giving him a total of 99 delegates in 10 states. And then we look at the delegates won by state by Adams. He won all of Connecticut's eight um, delegates. He won one of Delaware's three, one of Illinois's three, even though he won the state. He won two of Louisiana's five delegates. He won nine, all nine of Maine's. He won three of Maryland's 11. He won all of Massachusetts' 15, eight of all of New Hampshire's eight, sorry. He won the majority of New York's 26 of the 36, run uh, all of Rhode Island's four, and all of Vermont's seven for a total of 84 delegates, giving him 11 states, I believe. May that count? Maybe. I'm sorry, that was seven states that he won the the most delegates in. And then we look at Crawford. Um, He won two out of Delaware's three delegates. He won all of Georgia's nine. He won one of Maryland's 11, five of New York's 36, and then all of Virginia's 24 delegates, giving him a total of 41 delegates. And then looking at Clay, he got all of his home state of Kentucky's 14 delegates, all of Missouri's three, four of the 36 delegates from New York, and then all of Ohio's 16 delegates, giving him a total of 37 delegates. And again, to become president, a candidate would have had to have won 131 delegates. And even though Jackson finished uh, in first place with 99 delegates, he fell 32 delegates short of getting the majority. So at this point, he had won the popular vote. He had won the Electoral College, but was not yet president. So now the election had to move on to a contingent election in the House of Representatives on February 9th, 1825. This seemed at the time, especially to Andrew Jackson, that this was a slam dunk that he was going to win in the House of Representatives and become the next president of the United States. But sometimes things don't go the way we think they're going to go. And certainly for Jackson, this did not happen in his case. Stay tuned for the contingent House of Representative election of 1825. All right, forecasters, if you haven't heard about Anchor, and by now you should have, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain a few details. First of all, it's free. It's never going to cost you anything to make a podcast on Anchor FM. 
There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money straight from your podcast with no minimum uh, listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, if you're interested in making your own podcast like I've been doing and like some of my friends and family have been doing, you need to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, so moving on to the 1825 contingent election. Now, uh, I don't want to make you think that this happened way later. This actually happened on February February 8th of 1825. And remember that during this time, the inauguration did not actually happen until March. Uh, So even in in regular elections, uh, if a president was voted out or ending his term, he was basically a lame duck uh, president uh, for almost four months from December through March. So looking at the 1825 contingent election, uh, with no candidate receiving the required 131 delegates, the election headed to the House of Representatives. And again, this was on February 9th of 1825. Per the 12th Amendment, only the top three candidates actually moved on uh, to this election, which eliminated Henry Clay. So the candidates moving on were John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, and William Crawford. Again, William Crawford being the official candidate of the Democratic Republican Party. So each started, uh, sorry, each state voted in block. In other words, all representatives in a state would vote, and whoever won that vote, whichever candidate won that vote, would win the state's one vote. As there were 24 states, there were 24 votes, and a candidate would need 13 states to win the election. John Quincy Adams would go on to defeat Andrew Jackson receiving 13 states to Jackson 17, with Crawford finishing third with four. To put this into percentages, Adams won 54.17% of the states to Jackson's 29.17% and Crawford's 16.67%. So I also want to look down on how the states actually voted for each candidate. Uh, And the votes I'm going to be reading are the delegates, the, the, sorry, the legislators who voted Again, and you may see the votes a little bit different from the Electoral College, and that's because each state's legislatures were voting. So the senators were not voting. So each state was receiving two less votes than they did in the Electoral College. So we look at John Quincy Adams. He won Connecticut, and all six of the legislators in that state voted for him. Uh, he won Illinois' one uh only one person voted for Illinois because they only had um, one legislator. He won eight. Uh, he won the Kentucky. He won the city of Kentucky, receiving eight votes to Jackson's four. This was a state that had been won by Clay in the Electoral College. He also picked. Uh, he won Louisiana, the state of Louisiana, with two votes. Jackson received one. However, this was a state that was actually won by an electoral college by Andrew Jackson. So that was a flip for Adams uh, in the House of Representatives. In Maine, he won all seven of their votes. 
He won the state of Maryland with five votes. Jackson received three. Crawford received one. And this was a state that was won by Crawford. So this was another flip for Adams. Uh, he won the state of Massachusetts with 12 votes. Jackson received one. He won the state of Missouri which with that one representative voting for him. This was a state won by Clay. So again, Clay was not in the top three, was not in this vote. So his states had to go somewhere. And they all went to Adams. Spoiler alert. Adams also won New Hampshire with all six representatives voting for him. He won New York, receiving 18 votes. Crawford received 14. Jackson only won two. This was also a state that had been won by Clay. He won the state of Ohio with 10 votes. Jackson receiving two. Crawford receiving two. And this was another state won by Clay. He won the state of Rhode Island with all with all two of their votes. Won the state of Vermont with all five of their votes. So again, he won a total of 13 states, including four states previously won by Clay in the Electoral College, one state won by Jackson, and one won by Crawford. Then we look at Andrew Jackson. He won Alabama uh, with receiving all three of their votes. He won the state of Indiana with all three of their votes. He won Mississippi with only one candidate or only one legislature voting because that's all they had. He won the state of New Jersey with five votes. One vote did go for Adams. He won the state of Pennsylvania with 25 votes, one going for Adams. He won South Carolina by picking up all nine of the legislators. And he also won Tennessee with all nine legislators voting for him for a total of seven states. William Crawford, uh, to look at his, he won Delaware, Delaware with its one representative voting for him. He won Georgia with all seven of the legislators voting for him. He won North Carolina with 10 votes. Uh, one legislator voted for Adams, two voted for Jackson. And then he won Virginia with 19 votes. One went to Adams and one went to Jackson for a total of four states or four votes. And so we look at this and Jackson and his allies had considered going into the House of Representatives that it was a fairly straight shot that he would win. Uh, that he would keep his states and hopefully pick up Clay's to carry him over. As you heard, he fell six states short of that. So what actually pulled the upset? How did Adams pull this upset and win the election? Well, it was the decision by Henry Clay to throw his support behind Adams. Uh, when he looked at the three men running, his ideology, his belief system was much more closely aligned with Adams. Uh, that is the reason he gave uh, for throwing his support behind Adams. But there was a rumor at the time, right before the vote, um, that was actually published in a paper by a former legislature, uh, sorry, legislator who did not provide his name that Clay had actually sold his support to Adams said, I will make sure that you win all of my states that I won as long as you make me secretary of state. Now, this is something that if it were true is highly illegal and could have disqualified Adams 
uh, from winning the presidency. But it was never investigated. It was just kind of left alone. And after Adams became president, he did offer the role of Secretary of State to Clay, and Clay did accept that position. And so we look at that, and will this come into play in the 1828 election? Well, you're just going to have to stay tuned for that that episode, which will be the next episode that I do. And just want to check and make sure. I think this will be one of those where I cover two elections in one episode, because that will be the election that Andrew Jackson actually defeats John Quincy Adams as a Democrat. And yes, uh, Andrew Jackson, of course, says when when win re-election so will be one of those episodes the next episode I do where I will be talking about two elections in one Uh, here's something interesting that I will talk about um, in the next episode as well is that in this election the first time we actually see those voting go above 50% 57.6% of those eligible to vote actually voted in the 1828 election, which is a huge 30.7% uptick. Uh, so that'll be an interesting episode when we get there. Uh, that is it for the 1824 election. This is, again, one of those elections that was just crazy from the outset, from the get-go, and it went all the way through to the election of John Quincy Adams. Up next is my final thought. And here we are for my final thought. And I've been going back and forth all week and and really for two weeks since my last episode. But what my final thought would be today, and, and, you know, there is quite a lot to actually choose from. Uh, But what I'm going to focus on today is what I see as, and I could be wrong, I've predicted this before, is the final death knell of the Republican Party as we know it. Now, we we all know yesterday that Trump was uh, acquitted for inciting the riot uh, that nearly got senators and legislators killed. And we all know, those of us who who live in the real world and in the same world, know that the 43 senators who voted to acquit him did it for purely political reasons and nothing to do with any of the facts. Uh, many of those men and women who voted to acquit him didn't even attend the trial every single day. Many of them were seen in the gallery uh, when the trial was going on, doing other things, not paying any kind of attention uh, to what was going on. We had several of them that were meeting with Trump's lawyers throughout. Uh, to give them advice, which if you're an impartial jurist, you're not meeting with any attorney for either side. And, and you know, we we saw videos throughout this trial that, that put a whole new light on just how close the insurrection of, of 1-6 turned, how, how close it came to turning into a bloodbath. And, and yet we still have 43 
senators decide no, we're not going to hold the president responsible at all. Even though many of them have come out since the vote and said he bears some responsibility. But, but here's the thing for me. They, they voted to acquit. They didn't vote not guilty. And there's a difference. Even in, in Congress, there's a difference between acquittal and not guilty. Acquittal means you don't think that this person is responsible at all. Not guilty kind of says there might be some responsibility, but overall they're not fully responsible. But the number of senators who voted to acquit and then came out saying that he bears some responsibility, even McConnell coming out and saying that he needs, basically he needs to be criminally charged, completely negates their acquittal. This is, the Republican Party has become the party of Trump. It is the Trumplican party, as far as I'm concerned. To me, the the moder- the, the Republican party is dead. Now, there is still a chance that the more moderates of the wing can possibly save the Republican party, but I don't see it happening. Now, the question comes in 2022 and then 2024, 2022 being the midterm election, 2024 being the next presidential election, to see if any of these people, uh, Tom Cotton specifically, uh, Ted Raphael Cruz specifically, to see if they can tap into the Trump cult and get them to come out and vote for him like they voted for Trump. I, I don't see it happening. We, we kind of saw that in 2018 when Trump wasn't on the ticket and we saw the largest Republican defeat in the history of the House of Representatives. Now, they did gain some seats back in 2020, and that's because Trump was on the ticket. Now, if the Democrats can mobilize like they did in 2018 and 2020, I, I, I don't see any reason without Trump being on the ticket that we don't see another route of Republicans. That we don't see the numbers go down again in the House. And possibly pick up some seats in the Senate. And then if Trump ultimately decides not to run in 2024, there's a few reasons why he wouldn't. Um, One being, you know, look at his age. He he may not be able to physically run in 2024. Uh, He could be, he could have passed on by then. We we just don't know. At his age group, uh, anything can happen. But also, um, Georgia is now looking into him uh, criminally uh, for the calls that he made down to the state trying to get them to quote unquote find votes he's still in, being investigated by New York so by the time we get to 2024 the man could just simply be in jail so you know that's that's really up in the air whether or not he even runs in 2024 so let's say that he doesn't for whatever reason, he doesn't run for election 2024. Is there a Republican out there who can tap into the Trump cult and get them to support him or even her the way they supported Trump? And I, I got to tell you, I don't think there is. I really don't. So what I see kind of happening with this is a split in the Republican Party. Where, and I don't, I honestly don't think 
the Trump cult leaves the party. I think the more moderate Republicans leave the party. You know, they don't want to be independents. They certainly don't want to be Democrats for the most part. So do they break off and form their own party? And if that happens, what happens in 2024? If there's two strong, strong-ish conservative candidates running for the presidency. Is there a strong conservative third-party candidate that runs against who will eventually become the Republican nominee? And as we've seen in the past, if the candidate is strong enough, we saw that in 92, when Bill Clinton became president of the United States, he won on not on the strength of what he was running on, but because the third-party candidate, and I've completely lost his name, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I've lost his name. Uh, it's right there on the tip of my tongue. His name was... From Texas. Um, Ross Perot, there it is. Ross Perot. George W... Or, sorry, George H.W. Bush lost his re-election because Ross Perot received 19, almost 20 million votes, which is half of what George H.W. Bush won. And I got to tell you, the vast majority of those 20 million votes were conservative votes that probably would have voted for George H.W. Bush. I don't see too many Democrats or even, or especially liberals, uh, voting for Ross Perot. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know why they would. And while I'm doing this, I am checking on one thing. Um, from previously, I had stated I believe that uh, Trump had won the main congressional district two, and he did in 2020. So, are we at the end of the Republican Party? Will this start a process of moving to a potential three political party system? I doubt it. I think what is more likely to happen uh, is something uh, similar to what we saw in the 60s, though it's not exactly the same, where the Southern Democrats broke off the Democratic Party to form the Dixiecrats and then ended up moving into the Republican Party. Um, I think it's par- I think it's possible that this, if a new third polar, third political party starts up, um, again, I think it'll be brought on by more moderates. And we'd probably see it coming from moderate Republicans and modern uh, moderate Democrats. And that, to me, would become the new second political party. And we'd see the Republican Party just kind of slowly go away. Uh, because we are in this country long overdue for a new political system. The last real big change in our political system was in the 60s, uh, where the Republican Party became a lot more conservative and the Democratic Party became a lot more liberal. And we saw that faction of Democrats leave the party in the South, uh, briefly become the Dixiecrats before moving into the Republican Party. So... We're long overdue for that. Uh, we're, we're in a system right now where we've seen each party, the Democrat and Republican, the Democrats have moved 
a little bit to the left, and the Republicans, the Republican Party has moved way, way far to the right. And I think that's where a break will occur if those moderate Republicans who, who don't want to move to the right or don't want to keep moving to the right break off and actually pull some of the more moderate Democrats with them. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, we still got the 2022 midterm election, 2024. We never know until we get there. Uh, but that's it for this seventh episode of the second season of Prize Forecast. Keep moseying on. Y'all have a good weekend. Remember to wear your mask when you're out in public. Looks like this thing is finally, hopefully, starting to go the right direction. But in public, if you're able to, stay, always stay at least six feet away from someone else, unless you're family. Uh, you all have a good weekend, a good week, and we'll see you for the next episode. Good night.